So if you've been with us over the past couple of weeks, you know that we're going through Paul's second letter to Timothy. And what we've established is that Timothy is a young and timid pastor. And he's grown up in the faith uh, under the influence of his mom and grandmother. And when I hear this, it's so awesome. <laughs> because when I hear Paul talking to Timothy, I feel like he's talking directly to me. Because I'm young. I look even younger. I'm timid. I'm not bold. I'm shy. Awkward as it gets. But when Paul writes to Timothy and tells him, don't let anyone despise you for your youth, but set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity, I feel like he's talking to me. And so I soak it in. And I love it. And when Paul writes to Timothy and he says, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love, I am reminded and I am convicted to be bold, to preach powerfully, not because out of my own power, but because of the power that Christ has. And I know maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, good for you, John, but I'm not a male. I'm not young. I'm not timid. I'm not shy. I grew up in a healthy house. I had two parents that loved me. Why should I care about what Paul has to tell Timothy? Why should I listen? Why should I care about what Paul has to say? Last week, we, or Pastor Steve, kind of guided us through about how Paul writes to Timothy and encourages Timothy to make Christ the main thing. How? By growing in grace, by growing in Christ's grace every single day and working tirelessly by sharing our faith with everyone. That's how you make Christ the main thing. And the reason why we need to listen, why we should care about what Paul has to say in today's passage is because I can guarantee you there will be a moment in your Christian walk when you are trying to make Christ the main thing where you will need to make a choice. You'll need to make a choice. I guarantee you it's coming. And what I mean is there will be a time in your lives where you will need to make a choice to endure through the opposition, through the isolation, through the suffering, through the persecution that might come because you are working hard to make Christ the main thing. You're working hard to know him more. You're working hard to proclaim his name to others. And there'll be opposition. I guarantee it. And when that time comes, all of us in this room, and I'm in this room too, we will either be one of two things. We will be obedient or we will be disobedient. We will push through or we will run away. And while Paul writes specifically to Timothy to remind him of the reasons why he should put, push through, why he should endure, why he should not be scared through the suffering, to be obedient, the same reasons Paul gives to Timothy, we can all learn from. We can all apply it to our lives, whether you are timid or bold, whether you are young or old, whether you come from a family that loves you, or you're coming from a broken family, we can all listen and learn from what Paul has to tell Timothy today. So what exactly is Paul's explanation, his argument, his reasoning for why Timothy and why for all of us in this room should endure, why we should press on in our journey in knowing Christ more every single day, why we should press on in making Christ the main thing and proclaiming his name to everyone in this world, to the nations, why should we be confident 
Why should we not be scared? Why should we endure even if it means our livelihood, our security, our comfort? Why should we push through? Why should we obey? The first thing that Paul reminds us of, Paul commands us, is to remember the example of Jesus Christ. Take a look at verse 8 with me. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. The first thing that Paul says, he reminds us, think about the person of Jesus. Remember him. A couple things. Paul describes Jesus with these two descriptions, and the first one is this, risen from the dead. The second one is the offspring of David. Paul preached Jesus Christ. He preached, for, he preached the gospel. And when Paul did, what he does here is he reminds us that the gospel he preached comprised of a Jesus who was triumphant over death. And he reminds us that there is great power in that. That not only did Jesus defeat death for himself, but he has defeated death for us, and we have victory in that. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his victory over death, guarantees life for those who claim to follow Jesus. For those who claim themselves to be Christian, there is power for you. There is a hope for you. Why? Because he was crushed, and he resurrected from the grave. And Paul tells us, remember that victory, Timothy. Remember that power. Remember Christ. But there's more. There's one more thing. Remember not simply that Jesus died and resurrected, but remember that Jesus, the offspring of King David, was crucified and resurrected. So why does that subtle distinction matter? Why does Paul kind of just bring up the fact that Jesus was from the lineage of King David? Because every Jewish person who was listening to Paul would understand that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would come from the line of the king. He would come from the line of King David. And when they heard that Jesus was the offspring of King David, they immediately knew that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Savior, that he's the king of the world, which means that the resurrection of Jesus is not just a random resurrection. It's the resurrection of a king a king who is here and is going to rule over an everlasting kingdom. In Luke 1, an angel of the Lord goes to Mary, Jesus' mom, and the angel tells Mary that she will conceive a son who will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Remember Jesus, Paul commands us. Remember Jesus, the one who was resurrected from the dead, the one who has victory over death, the king our king, remember him. So if the question is, why should we be courageous in the face of opposition, why does Paul tell us to endure? Why does he tell us to remember Jesus? In the times where we're scared, where it's uncomfortable, when everything in my body tells me to just look down, forget about what they're doing, don't worry about the lies that they're saying, just go. When everything in my body is telling me, just mind your own business, Don't worry about proclaiming Christ. Not now. You don't have the time. You don't have the social capital to do that. Why does Paul tell us to endure? Why does he tell us to remember the example of Jesus Christ, the King, the son of David? I wonder if Paul urges us to remember Jesus because of the example that we have in him during the times of suffering and opposition, more specifically during his suffering and when he faced opposition. I wonder if Paul is trying to remind us that Jesus, our king, 
the one who is victorious over death, the one we claim to follow, he himself suffered. Remember, Jesus begs for the cup to be taken away. He asked for it to be. And yet, he endured, he pushed through, and he bore the sin of the world on his shoulders. Remember the example of Jesus, Paul reminds us. So why should I endure the suffering that comes with Christ, making Christ the main thing in our lives, the suffering that comes with proclaiming his name to the nations because our king did? So remember him. Because in order to follow Christ, we cannot do it fully without enduring the suffering, the isolation, the opposition, the persecution, and pain as he did. So remember the example of Jesus Christ. Paul will continue. He gives us another example of what the gospel requires out of our lives. He'll give us another example. Take a look at verse 9. He says, For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Paul says, look at Jesus. Remember his example. Now look at me. Look at where I am because I chose to endure, because I chose to follow our king. Look at the situation that I am because I follow the example set by Jesus. I'm in the position of a criminal. It's embarrassing. My friends, they all abandoned me. I'm lonely. I'm deserted. But the truth is, that might be the life that Jesus might call you to. If you claim to be faithful to God, to obey him, that you're going to endure through the opposition that comes along with making Christ the main thing in your life, by by knowing him more and more every single day, by proclaiming his name in the dark, to the dark, you will suffer. It'll come. A couple weeks ago, we all heard this story where a community college in Oregon, there was a shooter that methodically walked into classrooms and executed Christians. And whenever I hear horrible stories like this, and I'm sure we can all relate, there's just this horrible sinking feeling in our hearts because it's just so evil. But I wonder if part of that feeling, that just sinking feeling that just comes up in our hearts, is, it, it's because we, it's a natural time for us to ask that question. What would I have done if he had asked me? I talked about it with some of my friends in this room. And I'm not going to lie. I'll be entirely honest. It would be very tempting for me to look down at the ground and just not say anything. The temptation would be very, very real. But the life that comes with making Christ the main thing, proclaiming the good news to the world, even in the face of opposition, it's hard. Paul doesn't pull any punches here. He tells us straight up, it sucks. It hurts. It's painful. It's lonely. It's not fair. But he says, look at me. Look at me remembering Christ, following Christ. Remember our king, the resurrected one. Remember the suffering he went through and the suffering that I'm going through and endure, push through it. You know, I I shared in the first service, I kind of wanted to just skip over the next part where he says the word of God is not bound. I just wanted to kind of go into my next point, but I just kind of wanted to share, especially in the light of what happened today morning, that the word of God would just never be bound. Paul is bound here. And when you share the good news, when you make Christ the main thing, you might be bound. 
They can shut me up. They can shut you up. They can shut him up. They can shut her up. They can bound you. They can steal our stuff. (laughs) But the word of God will never be choked out. The gospel will always endure. The word of God is never bound. That's just for free. So let me just continue. He says, remember the example set forth by Christ. Remember the endurance. Look at the example of Paul. This is the kind of life that the gospel requires. It might just be for a brief stretch of time. It might be for your entire life. But a life filled with making Christ the main thing will be hard. You will suffer. But push through it by remembering the example of Christ. So if the question is, why should I endure? Why should I resist the temptation to be unethical, to manipulate numbers, even when it means I would get that promotion, which, which would mean that it would make my lifestyle a little nicer. I could provide for my children. I could provide for my wife. Why should I continue to proclaim Christ when it feels like I have everything to lose if I do? Why should I continue to play, proclaim Christ when all I'm going to hear is just awkward silence? Why should I make Christ the main thing when I just know I'm going to be labeled as ignorant, as being on the wrong side of history? And Paul gives us two examples of why we should. It's Christ and himself. They endured, and so should you. But what exactly drove them to endure? What fueled them to endure the suffering, the opposition, and the isolation? Paul tells us, he tells us the motivation for why he endures, and it is for the sake of God's people. Take a look at verse 10. Paul writes, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may attain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul could go through all those things. He could endure the opposition, the persecution. He could endure the beatings and the whippings. He bore the chains. He endured prison. Why? because he was able to look beyond his present trials and look forward to a future where those who have yet to hear Christ will hear the good news and out of God's mercy be saved. It drove him. That was his purpose. It lied in the fact that he understood there was people in the world that had still not heard the good news of Jesus Christ and that they needed to hear it. They didn't know that God loved them so much that he would send his only son to die for him, that he would die for their sins, he would bear the weight of it, and he would be resurrected, and that there was a future hope that they would have because of the victory that Jesus had. They didn't hear it. And so that drove Paul. And so for us too, we can bear the awkwardness, we can bear the silence, we can bear the rolling of the eyes when we mention the name of Jesus because there are people who have yet to hear. And there is the possibility out of the grace of God, that they will hear and they will respond and thus be saved. To Paul, it was worth it. The mere idea that there were people who have yet to hear the good news, it was worth it to him. Like a soldier who is not distracted by civilian pursuits, as we read last week, he was focused. As a runner who runs the race, like there is a prize waiting for him at the end, it drove Paul. It fueled Paul. You know, every couple of weeks, I meet with a group of friends, and there's this one friend within our group, and every time after we meet, I leave our time thinking that this guy works for the devil. Like, he works for the devil. It's just, there's no way around it. He tells us stories of just how much work he has to take home. 
He tells us stories of the passive-aggressive nature of the boss. So ridiculous. He tells us stories about the toxic nature of his work, about the shady mishandling of money, the gossip. The list goes on and on. And every meeting, we spent a lot of time encouraging this guy to just quit, because he should. But every meeting, I cannot help but to leave the meeting feeling humbled because even in the midst of this mess, he's always talking about his coworker that got involved in a cult and he needs to go get coffee with him so that he can turn him to the light, so that he could share the good news with him. Every meeting, I leave humbled and convicted because he's talking about meeting his homosexual coworker so that he could love on him so that he could share with him the freedom that is in Christ. I wonder for us how different our lives would look if we were driven by that conviction too. If we were driven by the conviction to proclaim Christ like he did. There's frustration, yes, it's easy to be frustrated, but he held out on the possibility that by the grace of God they would hear the good news and possibly be saved. How different would our lives look? How different would our families look? How different would our work look? How different would our friendships look if that was the sole focus of our lives? If that's what drove us? Paul writes, remember Jesus Christ the King. Remember his example, look at me. Look at how I can endure, why I endure. And we can, even in the face of all this opposition, there are those who have yet to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I work hard, I work tirelessly. He gives us another reason in verses 11 to 13, he gives us the last encouragement and the reason why we can endure and push through the suffering, the persecution, the isolation, and the rolling of our friends' eyes. And it's because of the promised privilege of being and reigning with Christ at the end. Take a look at verses 11 to 13 with me. He says, the saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Paul ends this section by pretty much summarizing all the things that he's already touched on. And just side note, I love when Paul says this saying is trustworthy. Because basically what he is saying is everything that comes next, you can just take it as truth. It's guaranteed. You can take it to the bank. And so Paul reminds us, remember, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you are claiming to follow him to the cross. You are claiming to die with him. You are saying that you will put to death your reputation, your comfort, your dreams, your agendas, and your reputation. But... He also says that death is not the end for those who claim to follow him. That for the Christian, there is a guarantee of eternal life because of the victory that we have, because of the power behind the resurrection. And he says, take that to the bank. It's a guarantee. Paul will continue. He says, for the Christian, if you endure the opposition, if you endure the loneliness, if you endure the awkward silences, if you endure it all, there is the promise of a future blessing in heaven for you. At the end of the race, at the end of the test, there is a reward waiting for you at the end, and it is sitting with the king. 
It's reigning with him. And Paul says, you can take that to the bank. It's a guarantee. And as real and as certain as the blessings are, he quickly turns it and he lists the consequences. He says, if you deny Christ, he will deny you as well. So scary. Like, what are you doing, Paul? You're just, you're encouraging me. Great. And then all of a sudden he says, if you deny him, he will also deny you. And I get scared because I guarantee you, every one of us in this room, and I'm in this room too, there are episodes in our life where we have disobeyed Christ, where we have denied him. And so I get scared. But I think what Paul is talking about here is the ultimate denial of Christ. The denial involving an individual who blatantly denies the truths, who blatantly denies the mercy, the grace and love of God. And for that individual, there will be a day where they will find themselves in the presence of God and be judged accordingly unjustified. And so for me, the question arises, well, what about the times that I deny Christ? Not outrageously, not outrightly, but what about my moments of weakness where I don't have courage, where I'm timid and I can't push through? where I see the situation that God puts in front of me and I just look at the ground and I say, no, not now. It's not the time. I don't have the time. Too awkward. It's not worth it. I'll do it next time. What about those moments? This past Good Friday during lunch at my, bur- uh, during lunch at my work, I was taking a lunch break. I was eating. My coworker kind of runs into the lunchroom, and out of the blue, he had known I was a Christian. Out of the blue, he asks me, what is Good Friday? And I'm just like, uh, it's a day of remembrance of the work of Christ, that he died for our sins, he died in our place instead of us. And I look up, and his eyes and my eyes, we lock. And I could just tell by his eyes that he has no idea what I'm saying. And I'm just like, I feel so dumb. I can't believe I believe this. And he asked me, okay, then what is Easter all about? And I choked. I choked it away. Uh, Jesus dies and uh, he rose from the dead. And we believe in that. And then I just quickly changed the conversation to how awesome It is that there is no traffic today because it's Good Friday. (laughs) I failed. I had prayed for weeks for God to give me an opportunity to present the gospel to my coworkers. And he had placed it in front of me. And I knew that God had placed it in front of me. And I whiffed. I struck out. I was too scared. I didn't have the courage to push through. And so I asked, what about those times? What about those times of weakness? Those episodes of disobedience, those episodes of denial. Well, Paul closes this section by encouraging us and reminding us of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Take a look at verse 13 again. He says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. There are times when you and I will fail. You and I will most definitely fall short. That's what it means to be a sinner. But we can be encouraged because in those times of faithlessness, it's in those times that we fail to endure through the suffering, through the opposition, through the awkward silences. It's in those times Paul will remind us God will never fail. 
He will always be faithful, even when you are faithless. Why? Because his wrath, his judgment for our faithlessness has already been satisfied. It has already been satiated, paid for, taken care of. It has been paid for at the cross by his son, Jesus Christ. And their encouragement for you and I is that the greatest news is that God is faithful, not necessarily to us, but to himself, to his son, that there's no failure, that there's no disobedience, that there's nothing you can do to tip his wrath and his judgment upon you. Because from the get-go, it was never about what you and I did anyway. It was all about what Christ did. It was all about what he did for us. And he will be faithful to that. Paul commands us, crossway, there will be a time when the gospel will require you to endure suffering, opposition, isolation, and maybe even death. But Paul will remind us, don't run away from it. Be obedient. Endure. Push through it. Why? Because you can remember our King, Jesus Christ. Follow him. Look at Paul, follow him. Watch him work tirelessly for the word of God to be proclaimed to the nations. There are people who have yet to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that he loves them and that he's come to die for them. And lastly, endure. May the promise of an eternal future with our King, our Lord, our Father, and our God push you through. May it give you hope. May it strengthen you in making Christ the main thing in your life. Let's pray. God, we just, we sit here and God, sometimes just the good news doesn't seem so good anymore. God, that you would send your son to die for us, to die instead of us, that you would bear the weight of our sin upon your shoulders for us. God, that becomes old, but God, would you just revive our hearts this week? Help our hearts to be sensitive to just how much you love us. So God, would you really help us to work tirelessly? God, would you help us to have courage? God, would you help us to look for opportunities to be eager to spread the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, that out of your mercy, they might be saved. God, we love you so much. Would you help us to love you more? We pray all this in your son's name, amen.